Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we uh, come into this moment with all sorts of things going on in our lives, and so we uh, ask now that you would take all of that and hold it for us. As we enter a new year, as we enter into the busyness and, and uh, the day-to-dayness of, uh, of life, would you take all that we bring in and would you hold it for us so that we can be fully present here in this place, in this moment this morning, ready to receive. Would you help us uh, posture ourselves to receive from you this morning whatever it is that you want to say to us? And would you give us the courage then to respond in whatever ways we need to respond? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat and you can meet me in Luke chapter 8. If you have a Bible or a phone, Luke chapter 8 is where we are going to spend most of our time uh, this morning as we continue our uh, vision conversation for this new year. Now, as you're looking up Luke chapter 8, I just want to do another quick plug for School of Theology. Sounds super boring, right? Who wants to go sit in a room on Tuesday night and listen to uh, uh, theology? Um, some of us do. That's great. Uh, the idea behind School of Theology, it's actually been a while since we've done this. So we did it the first time back in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, and, and we did it online at that point. So there was no in-person part of it. Um, but it felt like uh, a, a way to kind of bring us together, get on the same page, talk about who we are and just some of the big ideas that are floating around out there. And it was a really great time and, and I think actually a really formative moment in the life of our community. But we haven't done it in a while. And so this last fall, I was kind of thinking about that, praying about that, doing some research. The other thing that I was working on is uh, we also around that time did a parenting class, and I felt like, man, it's time to do one of those again. So I was reading some books, and I was reading this book called Woven, which is a parenting book, and I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, this book is, is like the best description of our discipleship process that I have ever read in my life. And it's a book about parenting. So then I'm like, okay, what, how do we like bring all of these things together? So I'm not totally sure how this is going to go. But we're going to talk about uh, who we are and, and why we are here, kind of building off of this vision conversation, but through the lens of uh, the Trinity, parenting, attachment theory, hospitality, and a whole bunch of other things. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, uh, join us on Tuesday nights, again, in person or on Zoom, and we're going to have a great time talking about all of that stuff uh, together. So if you uh, are interested, want to know more about it, or just want to sign up and get a spot, make sure you send me an email uh, by Tuesday, and I'll make sure uh, we have room for you. All right, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, for whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them 
out of their own means. You can skip down then to verse 19. Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. All right, here we go. Uh, So last week, we started this new conversation for us in this new year, Vision 2024. Uh, The idea behind it is this Old Testament Hebrew word shalom, this word that we just sang so beautifully a moment ago. We started with the big questions, right? Who are we and what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why do we exist as a church in this place for this time? And we started with this quote from the late, great Tim Keller, who wrote, in, tw- in 2,000 years, we have never learned how to do mission in a place that was post-Christian rather than pre-Christian. And so if you are in ministry, if you are a part of a church, it is going to take all of your life to help the church figure out how to do this. It's going to take everything you've got to help the church figure out how to do this. Reimagining mission and church in a post-Christian rather than a pre-Christian culture. So this, I think, is a great summary of our purpose, our calling, our challenge. We are on this quest to reimagine church and mission in a post-Christian culture so that post-Christian people, spiritual explorers, can discover and rediscover the good news of Jesus. We are doing this, and we will continue to do this, and I think the next thing for us is, I believe that God is calling us to be leaders in this. That that what is happening here in our little church, in this little town, in the Central Valley of California is actually going to be building the future, paving the way, showing the rest of the church what it can look like to do mission in church in a post-Christian culture. This is who we are and why we are here. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a little bit more time on the who we are piece, talking through our, our core values uh, as a church community. One of those values, and honestly, one of our foundational theological commitments, this is a preview of School of Theology, by the way, one of our core values and, and, and theological commitments is that relationship is at the heart of everything. Relationship is at the heart of everything because God exists as relationship, as the Trinity, this mysterious unity of three in oneness, Father, Son, and Spirit. God's essence, God's character is community, is relational. And so because God is relationship, God creates beings. Human beings, not robots, human beings to relate to, to be in relationship with, to be a part of his family, to experience the the community, the unity, the oneness, the love that is the Trinity. And so, as a church, 
we try to organize everything around this idea of relationship. The way that we say it here is we are better together. Now, we've been saying this for almost six years, and I have noticed that a lot of other entities use this, stole it from us. There's a, I did a little bit of research on this. There's a nonprofit in St. Louis, actually really cool nonprofit, called Better Together. Okay? I feel like they owe us one. Although they're doing good work, so like they can, they can keep it. It's all good. There is a Christian women's talk show called Better Together. It's kind of like the view for Christian ladies. I feel like they, they owe us. Uh, for that one. And then you have even things like McDonald's, right? McDonald's and Coke, better together. I'm like, come on. How do we not, how do we not get a, a piece of that, credit for that over here? Now, despite the term potentially jumping the shark, I think we should still use it. And we're going to still use it. We're going to reclaim it, in fact, redeem it for the kingdom of God, because it's true. It's true. This is who God is. And this is God's dream for his creation. Right relationship. Shalom. Right relationship with him and with each other. Right? We are better together. And as always, our, our leader and example in this is Jesus. And so I want to spend a few moments looking at the team that Jesus assembled, because it's fascinating. If you dig into the background, we'll start with the, the 12 disciples, because they're the most kind of well-known, right? If you dig into the background of the 12 disciples, you will find some very interesting realities. They were, yes, all Jewish men. Okay, so you have 12 Jewish men, and so you would think, wow, like they're all the same. You just kind of picked a bunch of, of similar people. But if you dig into it, they were very, very different. Some of them have been fishermen. And, and we might say it this way. The fishermen were educational outcasts. The, the way that the education system worked is that by the time you got to like what would be the equivalent of our fifth or sixth grade, you were weeded out. And if you were tracking along, you, you, you kept going in school, and you would have ultimately become a rabbi or a teacher. And if you didn't make the cut, you went into more hands-on type jobs, like being a fisherman. So these were guys who had experienced the rejection of the educational system. So you have fishermen. You also have tax collectors. Tax collectors uh, have a very different story. We might call them religious outcasts. They, they were people who had basically sold out their own people to make some money off of the Roman Empire, right? And so they, they were fairly well off economically, but were shunned communally because of that decision. Fishermen, tax collectors, there's at least one disciple that is named as a zealot. These were the political outcasts. In our in our cultural moment here in, in the U.S., we have this like two-party divide thing going on, right? Anybody heard about that? In that moment, uh, the people of Israel were split into basically four camps. 
And the like farthest left, most radical weirdos were the zealots. They, they were like, let's violently overthrow the Roman Empire. Jesus had one of those guys on his team. I, I, right there, I mean, just think about some of the conversations that they had. They spent a lot of time together. You know this stuff came up. Then you add into the mix family background, personalities, different gifts, uh, being fans of different sports teams. Right? Jesus chose a diverse group because we're better together. Now, Luke does this really interesting thing. We don't necessarily get this same picture in every gospel. Luke does this really interesting thing and shows us kind of the next layer of the community, specifically this group of women who were holding the whole thing together, right? Funding this thing out of their own means. They're interesting. Mary Magdalene is... is presumed at least in church history and lore as, as having been a prostitute. Also, the text says she had seven demons in her. So you have Mary. Then uh, you have Joanna, the wife of Herod's manager. That's a fun fact. If you were here last month when we were in Advent, you'll remember that Herod is, is the king of the Jews. Right? And when Jesus is born, it's Herod who, who uh, decrees that all the babies under two years old need to be killed because he has heard that there's another king of the Jews who's been born. This is actually his son. And so Herod, not a fan of Jesus, but his manager's wife is helping fund and run this ministry. Think about that. We see here a, a very diverse group of men and women following Jesus, working together as a team to keep the mission moving forward because we are better together. Now, a couple of verses later, Jesus, there's this weird scene that's kind of thrown in, in here where Jesus is doing his thing and, and, and his family like can't get into the room and Jesus drops this my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice Jesus redefines family and I want to be very clear here he, he doesn't negate our nuclear families our blood relatives or anything like that I think what Jesus is doing here is widening the circle which, which is very much in keeping with, like, Jesus' whole thing, right? He's always widening the circle. And I think the other thing that he is doing in this moment is he is speaking a word of affirmation over this weird mix of people who have given their lives to follow him and to help him do what he is helping uh, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He is saying, you're a part of my family. This isn't just work. This isn't just uh, stuff that we have to do or, or spiritual things that we, this is family. 
and you're with me, and we are in this together because we are better together. Are you with me? Now, I want to talk for a moment about how this plays itself out here at Discovery. We, one of the ways that we say it is this, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. Right relationships that, that build bridges across divides to create something new and beautiful. A couple different environments, I guess, in which this can happen. The first is, we're better together through friendship. Now, friendship is, is sort of the, like, uh, baseline unit of community really anywhere, but I think this is especially true here for our church. I sometimes say that the mission behind the mission of discovery is just helping people be friends. Like if we just teach people how to be really good friends, we are 80% of the way there towards discovering and rediscovering the good news of Jesus. Friendship. Now, if you... Uh, are here for a while, if you spend some time at Discovery, you're going to hear somebody drop this term, two-beer church, into a conversation. And if you are not, uh, if you're like, what the heck is that? Um, that's exactly the reaction that you should have. <laughs> now, a quick disclaimer here. Uh, I know that, that for some of us, uh, Alcohol brings up all kinds of different sort of questions and connotations, and, and I want to be very clear that the point of this concept is not to go drink beer with people, okay? Are we clear on that? Okay. What we are talking about when we say to beer church is this. Do you have people in your life that you can be open and honest with? Do you have friends? where you can say, this is me and this is what's going on. And that might be boba, it might be tacos, it, I mean, it definitely involves food. Okay, I hope we see that. <laughs> right? All great conversation and friendship happens around food. But whatever it is, it, that's just sort of our kind of provocative, tongue-in-cheek way of getting at who are your people? And do you have those folks that you can be just brutally honest about what is going on in your life. Our hope and prayer is that everyone in our community finds those kinds of friends here at Discovery. Second, we're better together when we are on teams, when we are on mission together. Two forms of teams that I want to name this morning. One of those is serving and the other is neighboring. One of the best ways to, to bond and to make friends with people is to serve with them. It really is. Some of, the, some of my like, longest standing, deepest friendships are with people that I have served with over the years. So serving together, but also neighboring together. Our neighborhood communities, we hope anyway, create space for these kinds of relationships uh, to form and to flourish. Now we organize our, our neighborhood communities are like midweek uh, community life format, we organize by neighborhood for a couple of reasons. One of them is strategic. It, it's, it, it's easier to neighbor with your neighbors. But the other element of this that I think is really important, I think organizing by neighborhoods is actually kind of countercultural. Because there is so much... Uh, 
there's so many different aspects of our current moment that are designed to get us into communities with people that look like us, talk like us, think like us. And there's something I think a little bit disruptive about organizing by neighborhood. You're going to be with people that you may not have chosen to be with, who might be a little weird, who might be a little awkward. It might be you (laughs) who makes it weird and awkward. But again, so much, so much of our our current moment is about self-selecting community. And there can be, I want to I just say, there can be something really good about that. Right? We need those, those, those safe spaces where we can be with people who, who get us. But at the same time, if that's the only way that we have an experienced community, we miss out on the true beauty of the kingdom of God. We, we miss out on the true power of better together. Neighborhood communities kick against the tide of self-selecting community. But it's in those relationships that we often grow and learn the most. And again, look no further than Jesus' team. You know they had to deal with some stuff and have hard conversations and work through it and figure it out together because we are better together. Now, if you want to know more about how to get involved on serving on a team or a neighborhood community, again, that blue card, okay, right here, super easy Three pieces of information, and, and we will be in contact with you very soon, making sure you get connected to, uh, to the right next step there. All right, lastly, we are better together when we represent the fullness of humanity. What we might call representation. We are better together when we represent the fullness of humanity. Now, we do live in a unique moment and a unique place where God has brought together people from all over the world. And so you can sort of almost default your way into diversity here in Davis, but I think that we need to be intentional about it. In fact, we must be intentional about it or we will miss out, again, on the full beauty of the kingdom of right relationships, the true power of better together. Now, diversity, multi-ethnicity, multicultural, uh, once again, buzzwords that can be very directed towards marketing And I say, let's again, let's reclaim it for the kingdom of God. God's dream has always been for his family to represent all the families of the earth. And heaven is not going to be monocultural. Heaven is going to be wild, by the way. (laughs) Can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Now, I think that as a church, we have made some good strides in this direction, but I also think that we're just getting started here. And I do believe that, that some of our most significant transformation and, and fruit is not going to come through our strategy and schemes. It's going to come through these kinds of relationships. Making room 
for each other, making room for differences, making room for authentic relationships that cross boundaries, boundaries of ethnicity and gender and orientation and politics and personalities and even sports teams. As God reconciles us together, it will transform our community and it will transform us individually. Each one of us more fully into the likeness of Christ. This is what we mean when we say we are better together. Now, each week in this vision conversation, I've asked somebody to come and, and, and sort of take the baton and, and, and bring us home. And so this morning, I, I invited Pastor Antonio to come and share a little bit of his story. That is absolutely the right response. Um, I want him to share a little bit of his story, but also I want him to speak us into the future. So, Pastor Antonio, take it away. Well, good morning, family. I, let me set this up this way. There's three things that I want to make sure you know before we, I share my heart with you. Number one, the intention of what I'm sharing with you is never to make you feel guilty. I want you to be aware. It's a more powerful tool. I want you to be aware of where you're standing and your surroundings. Guilt can paralyze us from moving. So I want you to be aware first. Second, the stories that I'm going to share with you, I don't want you to feel bad for me, okay? I'm not a victim. This is what God has entrusted me in my life. And so I want you to be okay with that. And the last part that I want you to understand about this is that where we moving and where we going and where God is inviting us is going to require some sacrifice. And I want you to have an open heart. God, what do you want to do with what I have? And maybe just maybe you have experienced pain, and I want you to bring that to the table today. Maybe you have some experiences in your own life that you understand what I'm talking about. And I want you to bring that to the table today. You know, um, I, I, don't, I hate to have conversation, tough conversations. Who likes to have tough conversations? If you do, you're weird. I don't, I don't like you, you know. So I, I hate to have tough conversations. And, and, and you know, I, I don't like to be in places where I'm like, ah, I'm feeling comfortable. Like, that's just not me. But God has a sense of humor, and he's like, you know what, Antonio? Go. Go have tough conversations with people because you're the right person for that, I guess. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I hate this feeling. I don't know. You know, and so one day I was in L.A., and I was, and my wife and I we were hanging out with this group of creatives in East L.A. And got, my wife was sitting down with 10 people in a table, and they were asking a bunch of questions about church and religion and God, and, and they were upset about it. And, and you have my poor wife trying to navigate the conversation, and I'm over here having a conversation with someone else about the same thing. And I'm like, great. I just want some carne asada. I want to eat. I don't want to have this conversation right now. But one of the things that captured my attention is that when I was having this conversation with this 
gentleman. He was sharing his story and how he was going to this church in the city of Whittier and the surrounding areas of L.A. And when he was having, he was um, in the building, he was a musician, he heard this statement of this pastor saying, God does not see color. The only color that he sees is the color red because that's the color of the blood. And the statement was like, well, I heard that before. But what struck me about my Latino friend is that he believed that statement. That he said that statement in his soul and he believed it. And part of what I had to navigate with him is to elevate his understanding that that was not an issue. We are uncomfortable with diverse expressions. God is not. We are uncomfortable with not knowing what to do with something that is different than our, our bringing. God is not. And we have to enter into this space and this invitation of God. What do you want to show me, God? What do you want to show me? What are you inviting me to? You know, for when I came first to know Jesus um, and found purpose in my life, I thought that my purpose, because of my upbringing, because of uh, my wiring, because of my limitations of not knowing English, because all of those things, my, my purpose was to serve my Latino community. And I thought that's the place I belong. That's the place where I want to go and serve my Latino community. It could be that that's part of, part true, you know. And, and I thought that I had no business engaging with other cultures. I didn't know what to say or how to engage. I don't even know how to communicate. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm just going to stick with my community. In 2019, that narrative changed. I became the pastor in Long Beach of a very multicultural, multi-generational church in North Long Beach. That moment for me was an invitation. It's like this moment, I, the best way I can describe it to you is like the first time I give my son sugar and he just woke up to a new reality. He was like, I want more. That's how I felt in that moment. Pandemic hit. It was a couple months only doing church like that. And I woke up to a new reality. And I was like, I want more of this. Whatever that looks like, whatever that is. See, I believe this is the invitation of God to all of us. And I understand that multicultural is a sexy word in branding right now, like even in church. But I want to take us into a deeper conversation because if we embrace this value, I think there's a place where we can go collectively and individually. But this requires humbleness. This requires empathy. This requires a lot of listening because this is also part of our spiritual formation. See, the spiritual formation in the Western world has become a lot about individual formation. But what do we do the, the, with the spiritual formation that tackles race and justice? You know, I've been working for Discovery almost three years, going almost on my fourth year. And, and it has been a privilege 
and it has been great. I have met so many of you and had great conversations, and serving this community has been an honor. But I don't know if you're familiarized with the evangelical church in the Western United States and the Latino community. We are the biggest majority in this country, and the, our churches are growing the fastest in the United States, and we're still seen as a recipient of missionary work. That the most important platforms in the United States that formed Christian leadership, we have very few representation of my community there. Even if I actually go to a certain circles and I apply for a job where I have all the accolades that they're looking for because of the way I look like, they might not even consider me. And guess what? I understand that. And to me, this opportunity has shaped a lot of things and is stepping into the, the future of what we're looking for as a discovery community. That instead of sometimes giving us the platform or, the, or voice or, or, or they, they want my presence, but sometimes they don't want my voice in those spaces. And this space has become a space where they want me. They also want my voice. And I want to give that to other people as well. See, diversity, friends, does not happen by accident. It happens intentionally. And the words of Rich Yodas intentionally means love and action. And I just don't want to see a diverse crowd. I want us as church to be and pursue reconciliation with each other. Because you can be in a lot of spaces that are diverse. I've been in a lot of spaces that are multicultural in the crowd. Can I say, I just don't see myself in the leadership. And I want to be a community that pursues reconciliation with each other. What I mean by reconciliation is this. It's an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice. To restore the broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. I want you to flourish. I want you to flourish. See, because God is not simply in the business of drying, cleaning our souls. He's in the business of tearing down walls that divide us and build new ways to belong and build a new family. See, this is the intention of heaven. This is intention on the kingdom of God. And I understand, look, here, hear me out. We have the tendency to, to lean into the space where our ideas, our ideals, our political way of thinking, our interests can be in the same room and to reinforce that same thing. But the intention is, what will happen if you get out of that comfort zone? Because the journey, friends, is not just to transform a church system. The journey is to transform the human soul and the human heart. Because there is an issue. Because, can I be honest? Don't tell this to other Mexican people. But I'm going to tell you this. Mexicans can be racist too. I don't know if you know that. I can be racist too. My soul needs to be transformed. 
And so part of this journey is transforming the human soul because we have a tendency to go into our own bubble and be comfortable there. Just as to, it's simple in a certain extent, and I know I'm trying to solve this thing, you know. But it's about having right relationships with each other. To do justice means that every person is taken serious as a human being, made in the image of God. And friends, that is right there, shalom, right relationships. Right relationships with God, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the soil and with the creation. That is, friends, to me important. And I want to echo what Pastor Steve was saying. You know, there's, in Matthew 10, you can see the list of all the, the disciples. And there's two in a specific that are very interesting to me. They cannot be more opposite of each other. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. See, those two people are so opposite of each other, and yet they were invited by Jesus to, to be pioneers in this, mo- in this movement of Jesus. See, Matthew worked, as a, worked for the government. Simon hated the government. Matthew collected revenue for the Roman Empire, and Simon was a rebel against the empire. Matthew was wealthy, and Simon was part of the working class. You have Matthew who was making a living by taking advantage of people like Simon, and Simon was making a living by killing people like Matthew. See, the cross is not just a bridge between us and God, but it's a bridge between us, between me and someone else. Because remember, he's trying to create a new family. Matthew and Simon were able to remain together and connected but it cost them something. Matthew had to stop taking advantage of people. And Simon had to embrace a different vision of what the revolution was going to be. In the words of Rich Villotas, this is a multifacetic problem that requires a multifacetic solution. And as I conclude this, and I'm going to invite the band back, there's a couple things that I think is, my hope is it can help us with this process. One of the things that he points out that will be very helpful for us as individuals and collectively is that we practice this habit of incarnational listening. What that means is three things. Number one, incarnational listening means what would happen if you actually leave your world, that you take a step out of your comfort zone and you get out of the familiarity of what you do every single day and you step out of that and specifically with race and culture. Food is a great entryway. Let me tell you. You want some good Mexican restaurants? I got you. I got you. But what will happen if you get out of that comfort zone? You live your world. The second thing is enter into someone else's world. Practice being humble and be curious about other people. I know that you like to share your story. I know you're important. I I get it. I get it. You have a lot to say and a lot of experiences. But what if you actually sit down and listen to someone else's story and what they have to say? Let me tell you, you will be 
super, super, super appalled, probably even surprised of sometimes the experiences of other people. And the last one, and probably the most important one to me, allow, your, allow yourself to be formed by other people. Allow yourself to be formed by other people. Hold your experiences and your upbringings, but what would happen if you're allowed to sell yourself to be formed by someone else's experience? You know, the, <clears throat> there, was this, there was a moment when I was a pastor in L.A., and I'm going to share this story, not because I want to say that one political party is better than the other one, but I just want, I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. You know, when we church planted with my wife in L.A., we had this gentleman. I'm going to call him Paul. Paul was part of the Air Force, and he had been through a lot. He was a very awkward guy. I would sit down with him, and it was silent. He didn't share much, but he, he was looking for help. I sit down with him. He became part of our church. He starts serving in a space like this. We will set up and tear down in a movie theater. It was because of him that we find a place where to meet. And Paul had a very strong political opinions about certain things. And very, 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 very vocal about him. And we knew about that. But he still come. Our community embraced him. And I remember as he started developing relationship with people, um, one of the things that came across was his opinion about one of our friends. A lot of the people that were helping in our community were immigrants. Kids that were brought here when they were babies and they didn't have an option and they just, they were here. And one of the things that Paul asked this person, he was like, why don't you just pursue citizenship? And she responded, do you understand the process of all of that? Do you understand that maybe I'm not even getting, I'm not even, I shouldn't be here? No. For the first time, he started processing everything that he thought it was easy. And he didn't understand why it was so complicated. And this is the most beautiful part. He kept coming. He kept coming back. And he came to me one day. We were hanging out by himself. And he told me, Tony, I don't understand. I don't understand. I hold these ideals and this stance on these matters. But also have this community that has embraced me and loved me and cared for me. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm here living in the tension. And to me, friends, I told him, welcome to the family. This is how we do life. Friends, we live in the tension with an open heart. Be humble. Listen. Let's be formed by other people. I want discovery to become this community, a voice that knows how to be formed by other people. Because guess what? Reconciliation is now that you think you, you despise yourself or you despise other people. But reconciliation means that you listen humbly and incarnationally 
And through that process, we see the image of God in one another. The justice, friends, justice is what love looks like in public. That we are shaped in our intimacy and we reflect that love by caring and loving other people. And so this is my prayer, friends, that as we move forward with this, as a community, that we can break those walls. We can reimagine what this looks like. I'm for this. I'm for this, friends. And I want to see you flourish. I want to see this community to flourish. I want to celebrate others. As we close this conversation, uh, we have a moment where we have communion. You're more than free to come forward and grab the elements yourself as we worship together. And whatever you feeling or standing right now, bring it to God. Have this moment. Have a conversation with him. My hope is that this conversation is not about this understanding this political stance. This is a human conversation. And that you bring this to, to the feet of Jesus today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. Thank you for allowing us to be here together. Thank you for what you're doing in us. And God, can you help us be aware where we're standing? But also, can you make us aware of the opportunities around all of us? Give us the boldness to step out of our own world. Give us the opportunity to enter into someone else's world. Help us be shaped by others. Give us the boldness to say yes to the invitation that you have for us as a community and as individuals. In your name, Jesus, I pray.